Between the Banners, a basketball podcast for North Carolina Tar Heels fans. If you're joining us for the first time, you've got 11 episodes in your backlog, plus two episodes of Don't Punt Geo, our football podcast. This is the new basketball show from TarHillBlog.com, hosted by the good people at the SNBNation.com. I'm your host, Chad Floyd, and in light of the ACC Network's announced launch features, I don't really care about a documentary about the team that saved Coach K. I want one on the 24-point game from State earlier this year. I'm joined by Jake Lawrence, Al Hood, and Joe Carpenter to break down the bracket. But first, Jake, what documentary do you want to see on the ACC Network? Uh, I think I want to see one about Rick Pitino and how he didn't quite last long enough at Louisville. I think that would be a good one to get into. <laughs> <laughs> Uh man, his era was just a little bit too short, wasn't it? Just, just a little bit short. So uh I think we need a, lo- a good long documentary into that one to figure out what went wrong. I agree. I agree. Um, Al Hood, first time in a while for you, my man. Um, how have you been, and what do you want to see on the ACC Network? Hey, I've been doing good. Uh, anybody that follows me on Twitter knows this. So I don't need to go into it on the podcast. Overall, doing well. Um. I would like to see the, uh, I would call it the, I would call it eight and 20, the Matt Doherty story. Ouch. Cuts close to the heart a little bit, but it would be interesting enough. It would be compelling. My, uh, my sense of humor is a little off right now. So, uh, right now that's about the best I could, uh, that's about the best I could get. Either that or we could go with, uh, Rashad McCants, he who shall not be named. Either one, they're a little bit dark. Uh, <laughs> you don't know me that well, Chad. That's my <laughs> That is the Al Hood brand, and we love him for it. Uh, Joe Carpenter, what you got for the ACC Network? You know what? I want to see a re- I want to see a reality show that's uh, sort of like Survivor, where we put a bunch of of uh, teams in and try to pick who's going to be the 16th permanent team in the ACC. And we'll let uh, Notre Dame advances automatically to the semifinals in, in this competition. But uh, let's throw all the mascots in there and, and see who can survive right uh, to the end and join the ACC. Well, if you once you said mascots, that I was thinking, you know, that was a great idea to keep UConn out. But with mascots, I don't know how the Husky would uh, rumble. So I'm not sure I if was- I'm on board with that plan. I was going to go with ADs, but then there'd be a lot of complaining about, you know, not being selected. So I thought maybe we'd do something else. I It'll like some very, very sternly worded letters written about not being selected. Well, as long as we're not having a sex tournament like the uh, SEC, I think we're good. <laughs> Auburn had a good weekend. Very good weekend. Auburn had a great weekend, according to CBS 42 in Tuscaloosa. Um, if you don't get that joke, listener, just trust me that it was nothing nefarious and just deal with it. Um, tonight, folks, we are going to be breaking down the NCAA tournament. Is this event that has actually started as we record? Um, one of my co-hosts is listening to music right now. Um, Fairly Dickinson and Prairie View are playing. And we're going to just go ahead and jump right into it. The East Bracket. Duke is the number one seed. Michigan State is the number two seed. There's some controversy around it. Joe, you had you had some words to say about this. Uh, one of my probably three biggest pet peeves here, honestly, from Michigan State, and 
I'm a Tom Izzo fan. I think he does a good job. I think he does a good job in the tournament. I think he's coached this team well through a lot of injuries, and they just got robbed. There's no reason in the world why Michigan State beats Michigan three times, and then as a reward, they have to go and play in Duke's East Bracket. And the reasoning here is just absolutely absurd. It's because the committee felt like Michigan State would be closer to home being able to play at D.C., as opposed to playing in, I guess Kansas City would have been the next closest because I think Louisville was gone with the Tennessee selection there. But we've gotten just so far away from the S-curve now into some, I don't know, nefarious region where Duke gets to beat up on other teams. I I will say I think that that is a very, very difficult region. Uh, And I think if I was Duke and I was looking down the line just a little bit, there is no four seed that I would want to see less than Virginia Tech. That that game that game would scare me as a Dukey. Well, it would scare me as a Tar Heel too. Um, so was was it more the ignorance of the S curve where you know you figured Michigan State should probably be the fifth or the sixth overall seed, and maybe Michigan should have had that number two? Or so, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Al. Well, I was going to say, I, I didn't want to interrupt. It's just that because I've written about NCAA bracketing and everything for the past two months, um, part of the research was actually looking at bracketing procedures. Um, the way the tournament, they have moved away from the S-curve for a long time now. Their goal is to take seeds one through four in each region, add up their seed score, and basically make it to where it's even. So um, their first preference is actually going to be on geography. Their feeling is is that if you are the highest two seed, for lack of a better word, um, if you're the highest two seed, your reward should be going to the closest place ge- geographically to where you should be. The next highest gets that. That's why Tennessee is playing in Louisville and Kentucky's coming out to the Midwest, supposedly. Um Although, I mean, Tennessee did beat Kentucky, so actually that logic does make sense. Um, so they don't, they don't great, they don't do this on an S curve. They, they do this geographically. Um, now can you manipulate the seeds a little bit to make it to where if you want some storylines to come into place, you absolutely can. We can get that, get into that when we get into our bracket. But, you know, I mean, this is just something that the committee's always done. Two years ago, Duke lost to South Carolina in South Carolina when they were a two seed and South Carolina was a seven seed. It's just, it's what they do. And Jake, I mean, this is a billion dollar tournament. Uh, You know, it's not like they can't, the teams can't afford to travel. Um, Is this just kind of one of those stupid uh, NCAA protects the student athlete things, or is it something that makes a little bit more sense than that? Um. I think two things. I think one, it doesn't matter at all. It's great for debate and it has very little outcome on the tournament itself. I mean, look, we're talking about a, a team that we want to win the national championship, beat all comers anywhere, everywhere. Just you shut up and get it done. Um, and that's kind of where I fall on, on most of it. That being said, you're talking about a bunch of administrators who may or may not have any experience in looking or being on this committee. I think they rotate the committee chairman every year, every two years or something. Um, it's, there's no consistency. It is what it is. I mean, it's everything the NCAA is. It's controlled chaos that makes no sense to some and makes perfect sense to others. Um, and unless they wanted to get an absolute, um, 
I'll say roster of, 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 of the same administrators doing this every single year. So there's consistency. Um, you're going to have this every year. Uh, and that is what it is. So, um, I think part of it is what the NCAA struggles with. Uh, they struggle with communicating effectively and getting their message out and controlling the narrative, uh, because they're really bad at their job, um, a lot of the time. Uh, but when you have a product that captures the, the, the American public's attention, um, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like the NFL. You can do everything wrong and still make money. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you're looking at with this. I, I would uh, I, I would buy every word of that, um, especially the ones where they're really bad at their jobs. But overall, I, I thought it was a pretty fair um, bracket overall. You know, really outside of Virginia and Tennessee's bracket, I think you can make an argument for the other three being the toughest. Um. Let's go into Duke's bracket. Uh, Duke's little pod here is with North Carolina Central, where Duke players take their classes, or North Dakota State, um, with VCU or Central Florida in the second round. Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. Um, what, what jumps out to you about that little foursome there? Besides, you know, the Z word. Uh, I, Duke is gonna, Duke's gonna have a walk, although I, I will say, I was speaking with a, with an avid Duke alum and, and fan. Uh, he tells me that in a lot of ways, uh, the Duke fans would prefer that they not play so close to home because he says anywhere else in the country, they're just sort of modestly disliked or they are an attraction that fans come out to see, but that when they play closer to home, particularly in these first couple rounds of the tournament, th- there is a fan base that comes out that actively roots against them. And so in some ways, Duke doesn't get any home games, uh, even when they play close to home in the tournament, which I think is very interesting. But I don't find any of of those four teams, uh, three by the time we get to Friday, to be a, a real threat to Duke. I think they cakewalk right through to D.C. I mean, I, I don't think we really need to waste too much time on that. I would agree with you there, so we're going to move on. I will say I'm excited about watching Taco Fall for UCF play, 7-6 uh, center. He's just you know, one of those big goofy guys, maybe he can destroy Duke's paint game and cause the upset on whatever day of the week that is, Saturday or Sunday. Um, going down a notch, um, as Joe mentioned, we had Virginia Tech, uh, they're playing St. Louis as the 13 seed. Michigan or Mississippi State and Liberty are playing the 5-12 matchup. Al, I'll take it to you. Um, Virginia Tech would strike me as probably the best four seed in the field too. Um, do you agree? And what what else kind of jumps out at you among that group? Yeah, I mean, if I were, um, and again, we can get back into this. I mean, you look at the four seeds: it's Virginia Tech, it's Kansas State, it's Kansas, and it's Florida State. You know, only Florida State really has an argument to maybe be considered a better quote unquote four seed. And considering the bracket they're in, I think I don't have the seed list in front of me, but I think the committee may have considered Florida State the better four seed. But, um. If I'm Duke, I absolutely did not, like was said, I don't want to see Virginia Tech in my bracket because even though I've got Zion back, Virginia Tech's going to get Justin back, Justin Robinson back, and if they make it through to the Sweet 16, which I suspect they will, one, they're not going to have any fear about playing the Blue Devils. Two, they're going to be playing in D.C., which is going to be an easy trip for um, the folks in Blacksburg to represent. And three, Justin Robinson is going to be, is going to be playing 
four full week and will have been able to have rested from playing. So he'll be fresh again. And Duke does not have any experience playing against him. Um, so yeah, Virginia Tech's a strong seed. Um, I think they can absolutely, I don't think they'll have, I think their game against St. Louis, they should win. They may have some trouble since Robinson's been gone for a little while, but I think, uh, they should be able to make it. And then I think a lot of folks are kind of pointing at Liberty as, uh, a 12 seed that can upset Mississippi State. So if that's the case, Virginia Tech only has to deal with a 12 seed to get to the Sweet 16. Um, and then they get four or five days to scout Duke, um, get Robinson in practice, get prepare for him. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, it, you know, if I were the Blue Devils, I probably wouldn't have been very happy with what I saw in my bracket. And I'm going to level with y'all. I, I know nothing about Mississippi State or Liberty. Um, does anybody else out of that pod even represent a threat to get out of that foursome? Or, I mean, we've talked about Virginia Tech possibly having what it takes to knock off Duke again. Does anybody have that firepower? No, I think Duke has a cakewalk. And my, my, my rationale for, we'll keep it with discussing the four seeds, uh, is coaching. And I think at some point that matters. And Buzz Williams has not been to the scene since 2013. Um, you know, we talk about on the Slack channel all the time. I think there are certain coaches in the ACC who do great jobs with, with where they're, where they are at, but I think they have ceilings and I think at some point they limit their team. And Virginia Tech is already, um, not the deepest team there is and you're integrating a player who's missed quite some time. That usually doesn't work out uh, in the tournament. Uh, Duke in 2011 and Kyrie Irving was an example of that. Uh, Kyrie missed the entire ACC season, comes in and they flame out in the Sweet 16 once they integrate him. Um, Florida State has the talent, but you never know what you're going to get with the Leonard Hamilton team. The, the years they're, they're supposed to go deep, they don't. The years they're supposed to flame out, they don't. You have no idea what you're getting with them. Um, the team that, that concerns me, uh, is, is Kansas State. I know that sounds really weird, but they went to the Elite, the Elite Eight last year. Their only losses, uh, in the past month, um, month and a half are to Iowa State and Kansas. Um, they lost to Iowa State twice. They lost to Kansas. Uh, all of February and March. Um, they, I think they are a threat, uh, in, within, within the bracket. And that's the four seed that I think that could cause trouble. Uh, Kansas does not concern me at all. Um, and so based on Kansas and based on the coaching, uh, questions, I think that Virginia Tech and Florida State have, give me Kansas State. Bruce Weber, uh, at least has been deep in the tournament when he has talent and he has, he's, he's done a good job this year. So, um, I don't think there's good candidates, but I think that's their best bet. Well, somebody's got to knock off the one seed at some point, so we we will get there. Um, but, Joe, I'm going to go ahead and just take you down to the bottom side of this bracket here where you've got Michigan State as the two, LSU as the three, which, ugh, you know, I I think they're probably more of a six or a seven uh, without Will Wade. Um, Maryland is the six, Louisville is the seven, Minnesota is the ten, Belmont or Temple as the eleven. And I'm going to stop right there because that – the winner of uh, that playing game strikes me as somebody who can make a Cinderella run. Uh, did you see anything along those lines? Yeah, totally agree. So LSU obviously penalized for Wade being out. That's a team that I believe they won the SEC regular season. They fall to a three seed uh, behind a pair of twos um, in Tennessee and Kentucky, of course. Uh, Maryland, one of the youngest teams, uh, in the entire field, if not the youngest team in the entire field. I, I do like Belmont. 
coming out of there, assuming they can get by Temple. And if not, I'm with you. I'll take Temple, whichever one wins that 11. It's going to move on. Um, I, I think Louisville has clearly showed that they can play with folks. They do have an ability to beat lesser teams. I think they will take care of Minnesota. But it's going to be Michigan State coming out of the bottom of that bracket. That's a gritty team that's dealt with injuries. They're able, they have been able to overcome those. Uh, they know how to play. They are, uh, a very, very competitive squad. And I, I see them, uh, coming out to, uh, to get to that Elite Eight game in, in Washington, D.C. in that regional final. And Michigan State is kind of the anti Florida State to me where, you know, if one year you pick Michigan State to go far, they're going to flame out in the second round, whereas Florida State, if you pick them to flame out in the first round, they go to the Elite Eight. Um, so they're one of the teams I just, you know, I used to trust so much that now I don't trust them. Uh, Al, who do you see as the biggest threat to them out of the bottom half of that bracket? Um, I mean, I could it be possible that Louisville get itself together? to upset them maybe the problem is is that if you're a Michigan State fan you look at that bracket and you are thrilled because you've got a Maryland team that you've beaten um Belmont probably has a really good chance of making it to the Sweet 16 if they get out of Temple and so if you're Michigan State you're either getting going to get Maryland you're basically you're going to get either Maryland Belmont or LSU assuming LSU even gets by Yale <laughs> this bottom half of the bracket may be the best bottom half of the bracket in the tournament. And it's one of the reasons why I've got Michigan State making it all the way to the Elite Eight. Yes, some of Izzo's hype has been, is a little exaggerated. Um, you know, only one national title and he hasn't won it in 18 years. Um, we've basically owned him. But when you actually look at the teams that he'd have to play, considering all of their issues, I mean, Louisville still hasn't fully recovered since they choked that um, lead to Duke. It's just, I don't think any team's going to have the confidence to be able to to be able to give Michigan State the fight to be able to keep them from the Elite Eight. And, Jake, any, any final thoughts before we concede the East to Duke and Michigan State and leave it there for the time being? Uh, I think Louisville has shown they have the talent, but mentally they're broken. Um, so unless they can get that fixed, uh, no, I don't see anyone. This is a really mentally fragile region between Louisville, LSU, and then uh, what we talked about with Maryland's youth. Um, I, you know, well, well, I, I will say this: we haven't touched. Well, no. But before but I will say this about Duke. Uh, we know they can't shoot the three. They are one non-ACC referee crew away from putting Zion in trouble and them going cold from deep from meeting from meeting their challenge. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, we have to remember this is a team that they struggled a little bit at Florida State. Granted, Zion missed the second half, but hey, foul trouble, that's going to happen. I know he, he was injured that game, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, he, he missed significant time. There's that. We saw what happened against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech played him tough for about 30 minutes in Cameron. Um, I don't think this team is near as invincible as people think they are um, with, if one little thing goes wrong. Um, and that's the thing is they are amazing when they are full strength. They are average if they have any sort of adversity. They have to really get through in the middle of the game. Um, and that is what I'm interested in seeing. So if that happens, they could be in trouble. But aside from that, no, I don't think there's anyone I look at and go, they can definitely take them. Yeah, I I just don't see that, at least before the Elite Eight. Um, 
So I would say let's go ahead and move on to the West. Um, Al, I'm going to start it with you this time. Uh, we've got that first little quadrant of uh, Gonzaga, Fairleigh Dickinson, and Prairie View, who are playing right this second. Syracuse and Baylor. Um, do you think it's a disadvantage for a one seed to have to wait out the play-in game? Because if memory serves, UMBC was a play-in uh, 16 last year. I mean, if you have if you have a good coaching staff, like you scout both teams, and you've already you've already taken what needs to be taken, and then once you have a team that once you have a team that wins, you go ahead and integrate that report. I, you know, last year, the reason Virginia, the reason Virginia lost is just, it, it's their pace. It leaves them susceptible to where if another team gets hot and their shots fall, it doesn't have to be, you know, the, it, it, they, their style creates this perfect situation. I don't think Gonzaga is going to be caught with that type of situation this time around. So um, what may no, give them trouble – oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, I was just going to see if I could get you to fire the take cannon, but I think um, you were going to fire it for me here with uh, the Syracuse and Baylor matchup and, the, you know, the winner of that game in the, the second round. Be – watch for Syracuse. They made it to the Final Four back in 2016 as a 10 seed. Um they play the, they play that zone and they always have poor records or mediocre records in the ACC because the teams are used to them they scout them they are ready for them um gonzaga is going to have one day to get ready to play against a team that has uh that plays primarily zone um syracuse should be back at full strength i think if the reports are correct assuming syracuse beats baylor um and while Gonzaga does have the inside presence to where they might be able to um, get that zone, if there were an eight seed that has, you know, everybody's kind of looking over on our side and saying, oh, look out for Utah State looking over North Carolina. There's a difference between Utah State playing in a poor conference against poor teams and having one tall guy and being able to rebound the ball versus Syracuse that has a ton of experience playing top-level talent with a defense that a lot of teams don't play and being able to flummox a team that's not used to it. So are you calling for the upset? Mm, I think Gonzaga makes it through that one, but that's as far as they get. I, Joe, it would not, it, it, I was going to say, it would not surprise me if Syracuse wins that one, but because of the non-conference schedule that Gonzaga has played, it's not even though their conference schedule was easy, it's not like they haven't been tested this year. So, um, and they, you know, they've got a coach that while he hasn't won a title, he's made it to Final Fours, he's made it to a title game. You know, he's proven that they can. He he at least can coach. So, while it wouldn't surprise me if Syracuse wins, um, I do think Gonzaga can at least make it through there. And correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but isn't Baylor kind of, you know, the Big 12, Syracuse, and that they uh, they play maybe more of a 1-3-1, but they're also very zone-oriented? Yeah, it's it's a 1-3-1. That's exactly right, versus the 2-3 that Syracuse plays. That's the all-zone game. And the winner of that game, I think, is going to lose to Gonzaga. you got to remember on that 16, 
line there I don't think that Gonzaga is is preparing for either Prairie View or Fairleigh Dickinson and one of the reasons of course is that those guys are playing in Dayton tonight and they're going to play in Salt Lake City on Thursday so that's going to be a tough trip for whoever wins that game to get out there and, and get ready to play Gonzaga's going to make it through I think uh, I like Florida State in the bottom of the bracket I think they're playing well um, they've got the horses to be able to run with Marquette and, and I think really outpace them, uh, to get through, uh, that. But I, I gotta tell you, Gonzaga, I think is a lot better than, than people give them credit for. And I'm not talking about the conference season where they beat everybody by 20 plus and didn't really play anybody. And of course they lost in, in their conference tournaments, St. Mary's, and that, that's, you know, lots of teams lose in their conference tournaments. That's just the way you, you put emphasis on it or you don't. But Gonzaga had a pretty good non-conference schedule early in the year, and they did well in that schedule. And whether we like it or not, the truth is they're the one team that, that beat Duke when Duke was at full strength. Uh, now, I would have considered Carolina beating them even with Bolden out in the ACC tournament. That would have been full strength. But, you know, we couldn't make that last shot and couldn't pull it off. So I, I think you've got to get Gonzaga credit for that. And I do see them moving on to that regional final in Anaheim. And I'm just going to tell you, I think Job Morant and Murray State are going to beat Marquette. And um, anytime you can send Wojo home mad, that sounds good to me. Uh, Jake, what do you see in the top half of this bracket? Um, hopefully I just stole your thunder with Job Morant. But, uh, you know, Florida State does appear to be the biggest threat to Gonzaga, which, I mean, obviously they would be. There you are, the four seed. Um, what do you got? I think Gonzaga makes it through. It's in California, and you're asking Florida State to travel across the country, and their first game that weekend would be against Gonzaga. And Gonzaga just has to go south. Um, I think that's too much to overcome. Uh, I don't trust Leonard Hamilton. Uh, and while I agree somewhat with Joe that, yeah, Gonzaga had a, a decent non-conference schedule, um, I think ultimately they'll, they will end up falling um, in the Elite Eight, but we'll get to that in a minute. But I don't I, – I think Florida State has the horses, but I think asking them to go across the country and play them, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, now I'll stick right with you. Um, what about the bottom half? Uh, you know, Texas Tech is my team out of the bottom. Do what? Texas Tech is my team out of the bottom. Um, they play defense. They can score just enough to win. Um, I think they are extremely dangerous. Uh, give me Texas Tech uh, out of that bracket. We we talked about this about three weeks ago on the pod where I said they were one of the teams that really scared me. Um, I've got them in the final four, if if you want to be quite frank. But then I kind of don't trust them to get past Buffalo in the second round. Um, <laughs> that's that's fair. Buffalo is going to be tough. Yeah, and Al, what what do you see from some of these mid majors? I mean, Buffalo, Nevada. You know, you've, you've got a couple of teams in here that could be a little bit tricky for somebody. Arizona State's not going to be tricky for anybody because the Pac-12 is trash, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nevada has kind of shown that they're a little bit of fool's gold with uh, how early they bat out of their tournament, a couple of tough losses that they took. And they drew, um, they, they drew a bit of a short straw having to play Florida. Again, you're playing a, you're playing a major conference team that's had experience playing against, uh, LSU, Kentucky, Tennessee. So they're not necessarily going to, and it's not like Nevada is going to be sneaking up on people too. They've been kind of that mid-major team that's been hyped all year. Um, Buffalo, you know, they, um, 
they definitely have a lot of buzz going into them, but they also drew the difficult assignment of playing that playing game winner. Um, and while it does, it does seem more likely to me that the Belmont Temple winner probably makes it through versus Arizona State and St. John's, um, cause the Pac-12 is trash. Um, I mean, if you're looking for, if you're looking for a team out of the bottom of that bracket to make some hay, it would be Buffalo. Um, I mean, I've got Michigan making it to my, my elite eight is very chalky. Um, and I've got Michigan making it all the way through, um, to at least, uh, making it all the way to the final four. Um, but I mean, could, I mean, one of these brackets, the, what, what's shown us is that even in the chalkiest of years, there's at least one bracket that just goes into a flaming mess, uh, by the time you get to the elite eight. Um, and looking at all of these, the West definitely looks like it could be a candidate to do that. Well, when we, uh, when we turn around and look at this bracket in, uh, two weeks, you know, I'm, I'm fully expecting for it to be Duke, Belmont, Syracuse, and Buffalo and giving, uh, Duke the free reign to the title game. But Joe, what do you see out of the bottom side? Um, are you a November Michigan guy or are you a February Michigan guy? Uh, As in go which one the, you believe? I'm gonna go with, uh, February Michigan. Uh, I think that they're pretty good. I don't think they're good enough. I think that's the tough and, toughest, uh, eight team, uh, pod, if you will, or, or, I don't know, quadrant out of, uh, out of that side of the bracket. Uh, and probably in the whole tournament. I, Buffalo is very, very good. Arizona State's horrible. There's no reason they should have got in. I'll tell you. That, that's one of the things that frustrates me when we were back talking about the weighing of the teams and the, let's, is it the S curve? Well, we're not doing that anymore. Is it the numbers? Well, we're not doing that anymore. Well, now we're going to use the net, but that's just going to be a sorting tool by which I guess we just sort whatever the bottom, uh, you know, the top 60 teams and then we'll let a few from the other side get in, which I don't understand that either, but that, that's neither here nor there. They're not going to get any further than if they beat St. Uh, uh, get past their first round game. They're, they're not going to get any further than Buffalo. I, I do think, uh, Texas Tech is the hardest team. I was really ready to disagree with Jake this entire podcast. Uh, but it's hard when he's <laughs> correct, uh, which is frustrating. Uh, he's got way more stats than I do. And that is also frustrating. He's at a knowledge advantage over me, but, uh, he's exactly right. Texas Tech is going to come out of the, of, uh, uh, out of the bottom half of that and, and I think come out of that entire bracket. Yeah. Texas Tech has the best defense in the country. And I know Carolinas is up there, but, uh, they're, they're, they're on another level and I fully expect them to, well, I don't want to say I fully expect them to go to the final four, but I expect them to go to the final four, um, more so than the other teams. Guys, let's, let's, let's move to the South bracket. We've got Virginia Gardner Webb. Can we make it two in a row? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, um, I haven't invested, I haven't investigated too much in Gardner Webb, but I think, uh, if there is a team that, um, has essentially learned its lesson and made sure that next year, that last year is not going to happen again, it's Virginia. And let's be honest, they are, Virginia is playing at a different level than what they were last year. Um, and I think their loss, uh, their loss in the, uh, quarter, the semifinals of the ACC tournament may actually turn around and help them out. Well, I mean, they're playing with DeAndre Hunter this year and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to bait you out into, uh, picking a 16 over one. And given that we only have one left, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, but 
Uh, Jake, talk to me about the rest of the top half of this bracket because between Ole Miss, Oklahoma in the 8-9, Wisconsin-Oregon in the 5-12, Kansas State and UC Irvine in the 4-13, um, my two takeaways are, one, I don't think any Pac-12 teams are making it past Friday for the second year in a row. Two, <laughs> two I'm kind of tempted to take UC Irvine over Kansas State just as the random uh, upset that nobody's talking about that happens. And three, I know nothing about Ole Miss, Oklahoma, or Wisconsin. Um, I just know Wisconsin and Virginia are going to set back basketball another 60 years again. Yeah, so let's start now with your with your upset pick of UCI and Kansas State. And, look, that makes complete sense. I know Kansas State is, is was the four seed that I said scared me the most, which probably shows you how much I don't really fear the four seeds this year. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the thing with Kansas State is they play really good defense. Um, they play really good defense, but they're outside the hundreds, uh, when it comes to their offensive efficiency. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. And there it is. So they're 102nd per Ken Palm, uh, in offensive efficiency, which is really bad. So they're gonna, they're gonna struggle to score, but they are fourth in defense, uh, defensive efficiency. So they're not gonna let you score. Um, make of that what you will, but if they cannot, if they cannot put the ball in the basket, they will be primed for an upset. Um, but that's why I think Kansas State is so dangerous because, Virginia already, um, if they can get to that point, Virginia already plays at a slow pace. They already don't factor in a lot of possessions. If they go up against a tough defense that strangles them enough on the offensive end, that game can stay close, and that can give Kansas State an opportunity to stay to, to stay within shouting distance. Um, so that's kind of where I fall on them. However, uh, when it comes to Oklahoma and Mississippi, flip a coin, whatever. Um, I think the SEC is a little bit overrated. Uh, I think it's top heavy, much like the ACC was. Uh, and, uh, I think I would go with Oklahoma in that one just because the Big 12 typically has such a different style of play. Um, that they tend to have decent showings in the tournament. They haven't always been carried just by Kansas. Oklahoma was in the final four a couple of years ago, uh, with Buddy Heald. Um, so, uh, I, I think that they have, and Mon Kruger's a good coach. Uh, and so I would, I would go with, with Oklahoma just because I think their conference was better and they faced more competition. Whew. Um, and just to, uh, just to follow up with your point, Virginia is number fifth in adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, we are looking at Kansas State at number four, like you said. And then you've also got Wisconsin up there at number three. So this, you know, if, if you're going to, um, play over-unders this weekend, take the under in the top half of that region. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize Wisconsin was that good either. Well, I mean, thanks for the they're, gambling they're advice. The one... I'm flying to, thanks for the gambling advice. I'm flying to Vegas tomorrow night. So that'll be, that's good to know. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, that, that's half of what we aim to do here at, um, at the Tar Hill Blog podcast. And just for the record, Oregon's 18th and adjusted defensive efficiency as well. So Wisconsin, Oregon, bang the under. Joe Carpenter, what do you see from those, uh, 413 and 512 matchups that, um, jumps out at you besides well, so, the stats so, I just recited? To late breaking scheduling note, uh, those games are all supposed to be on Friday, but they're going to go ahead and start them tomorrow afternoon, uh, because they're going to be the slowest and longest games in the history of the tournament. So they're going to try to make sure that they get finished by the time they have to play again on Sunday is what I understand. Uh, that's going to be a lot of boring basketball, frankly, on that, uh, that side of the bracket. What I will say is that despite Virginia's history, the thing about the NCAA tournament, as we all know, is it's it's all about matchups. And you don't have to be the best team in the tournament every year. You just have to be better than that one team that you're playing on that one night. 
And that top of the bracket matches up to what Virginia wants to see very, very well. They're not going to be any high-scoring teams. Virginia's not going to be playing from behind. I think this is a great draw for them and that they make it very easily uh, right through um, this squad, not just to the Sweet 16, but right through to the Elite Eight. And see, that, that's where I kind of struggled to agree a little bit because, you know, I see teams that are going to limit possessions, which just kind of gives you less margin for error. So, I mean, if you're playing a 60-possession game, um, you know, a couple extra turnovers here or a couple, you know, a little bit of bad luck from three-point range there, and you're in a dogfight. Um, I don't know who I would pick uh, to beat them, having said that. But, um, Al, if you if you had to pick one team to beat Virginia out of this top half, do you have one? Um, yep, that's the right answer. I, <laughs> I, I, th- I think you should lay a, lay a 50 on UC Irvine to make the Elite Eight. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know, I mean, you lay out the case pretty well um, that they're going to be, once they kind of get by Gardner-Webb, they're going to essentially be – you know, once they get to the Sweet 16, the likelihood that is that they're going to play a team that plays essentially their style of basketball, and it just becomes a um, it becomes a two-hour nap, which is dangerous. Um, which is dangerous for Virginia because uh, they already let teams stay into a game because of the way they play as it is. Um, you know, Kansas State with their you know um, as. Jake mentioned with their experience in the Big 12, uh, not fearing the top teams, not fearing names, uh, Bruce Pearl's, uh, yeah, Bruce Pearl's history. Weber. Uh, it's Weber. Thank you. Bruce Weber. Thank you. Yep. That's right. Pearl's over in, uh, Auburn. The, the, that Auburn. season's going to be vacated soon. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Weber's, if there's one out of that group, it would either be Kansas State. It would be the Kansas State Wisconsin winner because Wisconsin plays enough of the uh, of a chalkboard nails on chalkboard style that could keep them in the game against Virginia and Kansas State. It's not going to have any fear. Um, but I do think that after last after last year, they at least make it to the Elite Eight. Uh, I, the, the this top half of the bracket wouldn't scare me if I were a Virginia fan. It wouldn't scare me if I was anybody's fan, really, and. Um... <laughs> And we, we know Virginia's road stops at the Elite Eight, so let's uh, talk about that bottom half with um, our defending national champs Villanova playing St. Mary's, uh, Purdue and Old Dominion in the three fourteen game, Cincinnati Iowa in seven ten, and Tennessee Colgate in the two fifteen. Joe, I'll give you the first crack at this one. Why do I feel like Villanova is going to go further than their seed win would indicate? Because uh, you have forgotten that former UVA coach Jeff Jones is coaching down at ODU now and has hey. uh, taken taken that squad. First of all, he's put on uh, maybe a few pounds, as many of us do as we age. But uh, that team is athletic down there. They're going to give Purdue a run. Uh, y- you know, as Villanova has obviously proven to be a, a great tournament team uh, over the last, certainly, three years and longer than that. Uh, but that's typically when they have better seats. And they're just not that good this year. There's a lot of history with them. Um, I, I don't think that any of the four teams there look particularly uh, dangerous to the bottom half of uh, of that group. Uh, the Tennessee is far and away the best of the eight teams uh, on that bottom half of the South, and I think they're going to make it through pretty easily. 
Yeah, and Al, um, tell me about Cincinnati, Iowa, because these are, you know, th- there's a theme here where I have seen a lot of, or I have not seen a lot of these Midwestern teams play, but Cincinnati, you know, just based on their history under Mick Cronin is usually a little bit better in defensive efficiency than 28th. And Iowa, extremely efficient on offense, which, you know, watching enough Iowa football is fascinating to me. Um, does either one of them have the firepower to knock off Tennessee, assuming the Vols get by Colgate? Hello? Who are you asking? Hope. Have we lost Al? Oh, I, oh, oh, I said. Oh, Al. oh, sorry, sorry. My oh, my mic was on mute there. Over. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, That's I'm what trying to be, for. Yeah, I'm trying to be courteous to my co-host to make sure that no background noise gets into the podcast here. So I yeah, will start I, over. I, I, oh, I ate dinner while this podcast was going on. <laughs> um, I think that Cincinnati has the opportunity to do it. They don't. Um, they've. Houston out of their conference is the one that got a, a ton of uh, noise this year and Cincinnati hung with them. Um, beat them once, I believe. Uh, I believe they won the AAC actually beating Houston in the final, uh, if memory serves correct. Um, that is true. So I think that if there is a team that could, uh, between the two, I don't think Cincinnati is going to care about playing someone like Iowa. Uh, and I do think that Tennessee does have a couple of head scratching losses. You know, they look so good against, um, they look so good against Kentucky, beat them two out of three times and then just laid two eggs against Auburn. Um, so is there a chance that Cincinnati, who has the experience of pulling off a, a top 10 win, looks at Tennessee and Tennessee and they see Auburn's game plan of just bombing from outside and Tennessee just can't handle it. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but I do think, I, I think kind of looking at that group, looking at the group, I think Cincinnati has the better chance. I'm with Joe. I don't believe in Villanova this year. They've won two national titles and lost in the second round the last three years. Um, They've been up and down. Yes, they uh, won the Big East, but it says something that they were the number one in the Big East, and they are the sixth seed this year. Um, this they just, did lose to Furman this year too. So yeah, it, it's an off year for them. Um, and there's, I wouldn't be surprised. It would not surprise me with St. Mary's, especially just coming off that win against the Zags, if they can pull off if they can pull off an upset on that one uh, on that one too. So I, I think out of that out of that bottom group, Cincinnati's the best bet. But like I said earlier, my elite eight is is pretty much all chalk, and I think Tennessee holds it together to at least get to the elite eight. And Jake, I'm going to go to you. What can you tell me about Purdue? Because they're they're number ten overall in Kempom. Um, I just can never bring myself to buy Purdue. I don't know if it's a bias I have against Matt Painter or if I think their jersey's ugly or what. But um for some reason, I mean, I, I look at this bracket and it opens up for Purdue to possibly make a Final Four run, and I just can't really justify it. Yeah, I think Tennessee's your best bet. Purdue, um, I don't know how they really match up on the perimeter. Uh, I don't think anyone has an inside game like Tennessee's. I think Purdue might come the closest. Um, and I might be completely wrong about that, but from what I've seen uh, from this year, uh, they seem to be somewhat balanced. But the problem is, I mean, they couldn't win the Big Ten. Um, and even though the Big Ten got eight teams in, uh, I see Michigan State and Michigan, and I just don't see Purdue quite to that level. Um, 
Villanova's not going to do it. The, the almost every single, I think since like the last, since like 2000, almost every single champion loses before the Sweet Six or loses by the Sweet 16. Um, and I don't trust Cincinnati because I don't trust their competition. And I don't trust their offense. So give me Tennessee and let's move on. <laughs> I, I love the succinctness and I think we will. Um, so let's, let's move to the fun bracket. That's the Midwest. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily fun because Carolina plays Iona. Um, that's going to be a high-paced blowout, which is going to be a lot of fun. I, I don't really think we have any disagreement there. But Utah State, Washington could be interesting. Um, Auburn and Kansas as the four and five is probably the best combination of four and five in this tournament. And New Mexico State is more than good enough to, uh, run through Auburn and Kansas and, uh, make the Sweet 16. So Jake, you went last, last time. I'm going to start with you. You know, what, what do you see as the biggest challenge for Carolina? Um, we kind of already, uh, poo-pooed Utah State a little bit, but, um, if we can talk about the second round and then what you don't want to see in the Sweet 16, we could start there. Y'all are giving me some editing. <laughs> I'm checking right now. Can you at least hear me? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. All right, can you Jake. hear me now? Yes. Am I back? There's yep. Jake. Sorry. Okay. I'm not going um, to edit this one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't you. Sorry, I didn't you. I did. Uh... <laughs> Utah like a Dick really Vital broadcast. Hit mute. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what Utah State does really well is they rebound the ball. Um, and they are second in the country for rebounding on the year. Uh, North Carolina, of course, is number one on the defensive boards. So Utah State does, I mean, they'll present a challenge, but they are largely a one-man show. They have some size down low, but they are largely a one-man show. Um, with, I think, I think you pronounce him Morrell, uh, Morrell, uh, he averages 20 plus points a game. Uh, so, uh, I don't see any challenges there. Uh, the Sweet 16 concerns me though if Auburn gets through because they can get hot in a hurry and they will just throw it up from NBA range all game long. Um, and so they're the team that scares me, uh, if they get hot. Uh, and I think that is something that could be dangerous. You know, we all know how the tournament works. Uh, and we saw it against Tennessee. I mean, they were on fast breaks. They had the ball at the rim, and they would kick it out for three, even though they had a clear two uh, available to them. That's just kind of that's the way they play. So they're going to win by 20 or they're going to lose by 20. Uh, but that style could be really dangerous in March. And, Joe, are we sleeping on Kansas a little bit? I think um, we're going so far out of our ways to say, well, Kansas getting, you know, Kansas City for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight is BS. But – Kansas isn't very good to the point where I think we're underrating Kansas at this point. Am, am, am I crazy or am I just um, a little triggered from previous encounters with Kansas? I think there's a little recency bias there from the last few years. You know, they're suffering a ton of injuries and player losses there that's, it has made it hard to really figure out what they have. You know, it, it is amazing that you take a team that loses their conference and all of a sudden they're terrible in everybody's eyes, which of course, you know, I think I was reading some articles about what happened to destroy Canvas, Kansas or something like that in the conference. And that's just preposterous because they, they ended up just finishing a couple of games out and, and actually had a fairly good season despite the injuries. I think they are good. I think they're in a tough spot. Uh, I do not have confidence in Auburn. I don't think teams that shoot that many threes tend to advance very far in the tournament because they're bound to have an off night. Uh, and the other thing is that although Auburn played well in the SEC tournament, they have not been good on the road this year. 
and they're going to have to open out in Utah, which is going to be tough for them. I like New Mexico State in the pace that they have uh, actually coming out of that entire pod uh, to advance to the Sweet 16 there. And I was going to say, New Mexico State and Northeastern kind of strike me, besides Murray State, because, again, Joe, John Morant Homer over here, um, they kind of strike me as the best of the 12s and 13s, so that really might be overall strength, the best pod in the tournament. Um, but if we're sleeping on Kansas, then so be it. Um, Al, we haven't really talked about Washington. Um, I don't know, who, who do you see besides, uh, who do you see the biggest challenger to Carolina's trip back to the Elite Eight here? I mean, Utah State, if they make it by Washington, um, I know I was disparaging them just a little bit earlier. Um, the one advantage they will have, uh, as good as our coaching staff will be and as prepared as they will be, will be the fact that we would only essentially have one day to get ready for them. Um, but uh, Utah State typically doesn't have to face against, uh, face off against a team that has the likes of a, um, a Garrison Brooks or a Nasir Little who have the ability uh, to uh, just go after the basketball. Um, the I, I the thing with Auburn is if we face them just in the Sweet 16, um, it scares me that they could just completely go off. But at the same time, um, you're also asking them to essentially go off for three games in a row. Um, and that, you know, don't discount the matchup they would have against Kansas. Um, I think that Kansas could look at this season as, uh, could look at this as a way to try to, um, look as, uh, look at this as a way to try to salvage their season. Um, getting to a Sweet 16 would be considered a pretty successful season in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the nice thing about the, the way everything is, is that as Jake kind of pointed out, Carolina only has to play one of Utah State or Washington. Then they only have to play one of Auburn, New Mexico State, Kansas, and Northeastern. Um, you know, I kind of did a preview for, I did a preview for North, uh, New Mexico State and Northeastern. Um, you know, they both are coming off hot streaks. Both of them are coming off of um, impressive conference tournament wins. But the strength of the conference, the strength of the schedule that they played, neither one of them really have any impressive wins, um, with the exception of New Mexico State and Alabama, I believe. Um, they played, they beat them very early in the year. Um, it's just a different animal when you get to the tournament and you play a team that has the talent um, has the, and has been playing as good as a team as we have. And that's the thing to remember with Carolina. Like, this team has been playing good as a team this year. Um, and it makes it a difficult, it makes it a na- matchup nightmare for any team trying to prepare for Carolina because you try to focus on one player. If you try to focus, for instance, on Cam Johnson, well then Kobe White, Kobe White's just gonna eat you alive. Um, you try to stop the drive with Kobe, then all of a sudden Luke May is going to have some room down low to, to be able to operate and get those short jumpers. And, oh, by the way, you've now left Cam open for threes. Kenny Williams has, in the last few games, has shown that his jumper's starting to come back. You know, um, Nasir could go off on any one of these teams because, um, at least until he gets to the Elite Eight, or at least until he gets to the Sweet 16, no one's going to be able to have an athlete like him on that, on, to match up against. So you can't take any game for granted, but um, 
it's kind of like I explained to my friends. I think Friday is the easiest game. And then from there, um, you just don't take any, you don't take any game for granted. And there is a big reason that Roy Williams has not really succumbed to many, uh, seed upsets at UNC. I think we can probably say, you know, maybe I'm overrating Auburn or Kansas just out of, you know, out of fear of the unknown there. But speaking of groups that we only have to play one team out of, you've got the bottom half of the bracket, which I think is probably the best in the tournament. Um, Iowa State and Ohio State in the 6-11. Houston, who I'm really impressed by, but still think 14 seed Georgia State could beat them. Then you have Wofford, Seton Hall, who will likely be a sacrificial lamb to Kentucky or, well, not Abilene Christian. Joe, um, with the news that P.J. Washington is in a walking boot today, is this bracket opened up a little bit? Well, they could suffer the agony of defeat, that's for sure. Oh, um, dear God. <laughs> but uh, I'm not doing that. Get off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That joke stinks. Uh, I think, um, uh, I don't think so. I, I think it's, it's Kentucky's, uh, the bottom half of the bracket to, to win. Um, uh, I think that Houston is very, very good. They are gonna survive to the Sweet 16. I think they're gonna give, uh, the winner of Kentucky Walford a run and, and note I say the, the winner of it because I, I do think Wofford's one of those teams that could come out and get real hot, sort of like what we were saying with Auburn. They could get very, very hot and win a game against almost anybody, but the chances of them shooting threes against the athletes that Kentucky have, I think is pretty limited. The big games that Wofford has had this year, they've, they've lost, uh, and so uh, against the, the bigger programs. And so I, I think it's going to be difficult for them. I do have, uh, Kentucky Houston there and I'm going to move Kentucky through to the Elite Eight. Mr. Hood, you, you think the same thing? Get off mute. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I, I've said before, I've got a very chalky, I've got a very chalky bracket. Um, Kentucky's definitely got some, has definitely got some good wins. Um, and just like we only have to play one of Utah State Washington and one of the bottom pod, they only have to play one of Wofford and Seton Hall and only one of the Iowa State, Ohio, Houston, uh, Georgia State group. Um, so I think that they, uh, and Calipari does, ha- does have the tendency to get his teams peaking at just about the right time. Um, and that was a, it was a very good game against Tennessee. Um, they almost, they had it. They suffered almost as worse of a choke <laughs> than we did in the ACC tournament final. But that game very easily could have been theirs and they very easily could have been a one seed. Um, I expect, uh, I expect a rematch in the Elite Eight. And frankly, um, you know, our tournaments as, uh, you are not to spoil some research that you've done in a weird way. It's going to, it would be a good sign if Carolina ha- faces a, a mostly chalk bracket. Because that's usually when they are a really good team and usually when titles start to, uh, start to come their way. Spoiler alert. That's exactly what I wrote about for Thursday morning. So stay tuned. Um, Jake, tell me about Iowa State as a sixth seed because I look at them as 
a huge threat not only to Houston, but even to Kentucky. And frankly, you know, it's a team I probably overrate every year, but they are 16th in Kim Palm. Um, even despite Fred Hoiberg leaving, uh, shout out to Brandon Anderson. They are ninth in office, offensive efficiency. Um, just underachieved a little bit this year, but could, could they be a threat to uh, come out of this bottom half? Uh, no. Um, okay. all right. Then. No, and, 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 and you raise good points. Uh, and the Big 12, they can score. Um, all of that is true. Uh, but they lost five of their last six regular season games. And they lost to Baylor, TCU, Texas, West Virginia, and Texas Tech. And then they got hot in the tournament. Um, and so I guess their, the, their threat level depends on how much you believe in momentum coming out of conference tournaments or if you believe their overall body of work uh, in losing five of their last six. I tend to think they're more of the latter. Um, and I think that it was fair to say that they may have thought they were playing for their tournament lives going into the Big 12 tournament. I think they were probably one of those teams that were on the bottom, bottom half of the final, final selections. Um, so they're capable. Uh, I just don't think they're consistent enough to do it. Um, my, my concern here is I think Houston is very well coached. Uh, Kelvin Sampson, uh, has been around the block a few times, uh, regardless of how he got there. Um, at some different stops, I think Houston could be very dangerous. My my pick will depend on if uh, Washington is actually healthy for Kentucky. Because if he is not healthy, I think I think Wofford is very very dangerous. Um, and Joe is absolutely right; they have not won against any of the big names that they had this year, uh, but they've played them, and they're in Jacksonville, which is close to South Carolina. Uh, so whatever contingent Wofford has will travel. Um, and they, they are the rare men major that has an inside outside game, uh, with Cameron Jackson down low and then Fletcher McGee on the outside. Uh, and they have, uh, I cannot think of his name right now, but they have a really good defender on the perimeter as well. So, um, <clears throat> I think that if Kentucky is depleted, I think Wofford has a chance to beat them. But all of that aside, I think Houston comes out of the bottom. Uh, just because I, I trust Kelvin Sampson more than I do John Calipari. Wow, when, when when you put it when you put the end of that sentence that way, that is um, that is quite a statement. <laughs> um, and I'm I mean, a fan of you, hot takes, and that is mine. Hey, um, you know, but both of them have had their uh, issues with the NCAA, to where you might not actually trust them to take your daughter on a date. But you know. Um, Correct. Your but if I, need, if, I, if but, I need to win a basketball game, give me Kelvin Sampson. Fair enough. Um, so, guys, obviously we're going to have another week to talk about what happens in the first two rounds. But just for fun, um, let's go around the horn. Let's talk some Final Fours. So, uh, Joe, I'm going to start with you this time. I don't think I've started with you in a while. Who's in your Final Four? I got uh, Tennessee coming out of the South. I think they are very good, and the one thing that they do is uh, uh, Williams, particularly, they shoot free throws so well that when they get in close games, they're going to win. They're going to beat Virginia. Uh, they're coming out of the South. I'll skip over to the West. I already said uh, Texas Tech uh, with that defense is going to be able to put the clamps on Gonzaga. They're coming out. I think the Midwest sets up very nicely for Carolina, just like I thought the early part of the South set up well for Virginia. There's a lot of teams that want to run, that want to get out in transition, and Carolina has not had difficulties with those teams. I'll go back to the same stat that I think I've said on this podcast every time. Carolina's now 0-5 when they score 73 points or less. 
and they've got one loss when they score 74 or more. And that's really the magic figure for them. And teams that want to run are not going to be able to beat them at this time of the year. Carolina's going to get out of the Midwest. In the East, it's a very difficult choice for me because I do think Virginia Tech has the opportunity to scare Duke. I think Michigan State is going to really scare Duke. Uh, but I do think that Duke is going to come out of there. So I'm going to put them as the uh, as the representative out of the East. Well, spoiler alert, we have the same Final Four. So, uh, Al, what what do you have going on? Um, I'm, I'm almost almost the same. Um, I've got Tennessee coming out of the South. Um, I just I they could have easily been a one seed. Um, they probably could have stolen the West one seed had they actually shown up in the SEC tournament final. Um, and I think that their combination of athletes can defeat Virginia. So I have them coming out of the South. Um, I have them playing us in the Midwest. Um, mostly because if it goes chalk, I will take run it back Roy every time. Um, Kentucky got December. I fully expect a much better Carolina team than what played in, uh, than the one that played in December, uh, to look at that team and, uh, to, uh, to advance out of the Midwest. Uh, going to the East, um, I will give it to Michigan State. I think that, um, the March hype for Izzo has become that. It has become hype more than substance, but, Michigan State had a really strong year in the in the Big Ten in a te- in a conference that did uh, deliver um, eight teams. Yes, the I the IU losses are questionable, um, but you know we've uh, we've had we've lost we've won titles or have done well in years where we lost Florida State by twenty. Um, they're coming off the Big Ten tournament and uh, beating some pretty strong teams to do it. And if you're looking for a coach that um, would have no fear uh, against Krzyzewski and also feel like that he would be due and also have the depth and the team and the physicality that would be needed to um, frustrate Duke, I think you're looking at Michigan State. And out of the West, uh, I just don't see how Gonzaga can make it out of that landmine. Um, and I've got Michigan coming out of it. Um, I know that they've, I know that they've struggled. But this one thing that the Wolverines have shown is that when it starts getting into the NCAA tournament and you start doubting them, next thing you know, they're playing in the national championship game. Um, so that is a Michigan State, Michigan um, left side and a Tennessee, Carolina right side. I would take it all day. Uh, Jake, you got the final word on this one. Um, you know, let's start down the West. I think Texas Tech comes out of the West. I don't trust Gonzaga. I don't trust Michigan. Um, and I want to see them in a rematch with Duke and I want to see them beat Duke in the, in the final four. So I think it's going to be Texas Tech and then North Carolina in the championship. Um, and I think Carolina and Tennessee meet in the final four. I, I say that with some hesitancy. Uh, I don't trust Rick Barnes in March, but I don't trust Tony Bennett in March. Uh, but I don't <laughs> see anybody after those two, uh, that are, that's a realistic, um, competitor. And I just want to say that, you know, we can make jokes about Tony Bennett all we want in UVA, but here's the deal. His dad ran a very similar kind of offensive defense back at Wisconsin. And when you combine their entire careers together, uh, they have exactly one final four and one elite eight that spans, I think, roughly 20 years of coaching 
uh, at the at what's considered the P5 level, and that's it. Um, so that style of play for Virginia is extremely vulnerable, and so that's why I, I just can't believe in them. Um, so give me Tennessee, and then let me have Carolina ruin Rick Barnes's uh, season once again. Uh, and then Carolina and Texas Tech in the championship. I think that's outside of the box enough with a dash of realism that's, that's not too too out there. Um, but I thought Texas Tech played Duke very closely back in November, and I would love to see them get another chance at it uh, on another neutral court that's not Cameron Indoor Part 2, uh, also known as Madison Square Garden. So um, that's what I'm going with. And you know what? I, I bought high on Tennessee, um, forgetting that Rick Barnes was their coach. I just keep on thinking Grant, or uh, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. I, uh, talked to enough junk about Purdue. Give me Purdue coming out of, uh, the South. I which, like it. Hey, you know what? Why not? So I've got Purdue, Carolina, uh, Texas Tech and Duke. Um, that would set up and I do believe this is the year that it happens. I think Carolina and Duke are playing in the finals and I'm not ready for it, but I've been mentally preparing um, as if it is a reality. Um, gentlemen, we've been going about 65 minutes, so I'm going to let y'all uh, get back to your families and whatnot because y'all have families. Um, <laughs> first, first things uh, first though, we do have a new five-star review on Apple podcasts. And it is a reminder. If you, Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I will read it on air. This one comes from Anonymous. The caption is, oh, yeah, it's good. So much better than the old one. Keep up the good work. Um, I hosted the old one, so I don't really know what that has to say. They probably listened to a Brandon episode. But um, (laughs) (laughs) But as far as it goes, uh, Joe, you had the weekly hangover um, yesterday. Fantastic read. Tons of action in the comments. Do you have anything else coming up between now and the next weekly hangover? Uh, well, the good news is that my grumpy dad, who's frequently uh, uh, quoted in the weekly hangover, is going to be here uh, this weekend to be able to watch some basketball games with me. And I don't get a lot of chance to do that. So it's pretty cool when the Carolina basketball powers align. Uh, to be able to allow that to happen. So I'm I'm looking forward to commenting on a couple of double-digit wins for the Tar Heels uh, on uh, coming up next Monday. Well, I was going to say, I hope the grumpy dad has something to be happy about. Uh, Jake, I know you've got uh, plenty in the pipeline. Um, the, the the Twitter is on fire right now. What, what do you have coming up? Uh, so tomorrow I've got our weekly recruiting roundup, um, some information about, uh, 2020 recruit Dayron Sharp and, uh, Cole Anthony for 2019, um, as, as those rumors pick up steam. And then I'm playing around with, a you know, five reasons why UNC will make the final four for, for Thursday. We'll, we'll see if I get around to that or not. But, uh, other than that, uh, that's all, that's all I have for this week. Mr. Hood. Yes. <laughs> um, I am, uh, I don't have anything in the pipeline. I am bringing my laptop with me and, uh, this time tomorrow I will be standing in line at Logan Airport to get on a plane for Las Vegas, uh, celebrate the, um, uh, the losing of bachelorhood of one of my college friends and, uh, be there for the first and the second round. So, um, 
wander around, see, I hear that the experience of watching the tournament in Vegas is completely different than watching it in your living room because you, for instance, with Carolina as a 24 point favorite, you're going to have folks watching all the way to the end of our game to make sure that we cover. Um, and there are people that will, che- will cheer last second shots, um, like they won the national title, uh, for a game that, uh, covers the spread. So, uh, that's going to be interesting. And if, uh, if I see enough, I might, uh, might report back on it, but, um, also just going to be ready for any stories that uh, come across uh, from our first couple of games. Well, Al, as a reminder, good teams win, great teams cover. Um, have fun <laughs> out there, buddy. I plan um, on it. I've got, I've got a post on Thursday comparing in the 64 team era, the relative strengths of the um, opponents faced by the teams that ultimately ended up winning the tournament. Um, went down a rabbit hole yesterday, did some research. I'm pretty excited about it. It's probably the best basketball thing I've ever written, but that's not saying a whole hell of a lot. So until next time, thank you all for listening to Between the Banners. Come back soon and go Heels.